So we have our cleaning lady coming uh, to, well, today, but this was this is last night, and there was a stack of stuff on. We have a little couch in our in our room, and I have a hat, and there's like some gloves inside the hat, and I pick it up and I'm moving some stuff, and I kind of turn the hat to like, I don't know, just not even thinking, just it just turns. Well, something falls out of it, and it and I'm like, what and and I and it looked like a snake, uh-huh. but I thought it was one of the kids' like little toys, like if they had just gotten or something. Except as soon as it lands on the floor, it starts to like oh, slither away. Oh, no, no, yeah, no. in Dude, our room, I would have burned the oh, house down. And that's the tip over. Tip's like we're moving. <laughs> Did Tip see it at that no, moment? Move? No, no. So, so I see it and I realize, okay, like we're we're fine. It's not anything. At first, I was like, okay, is this like a little baby snake? Because like. California, like baby snakes, are worse than oh wow, worse than like because they can't a control baby the venom. Poison, uh, a baby poisonous snake, yeah, baby right. poisonous Wait, snake. J- just in nope. California, they're like that. Well, rattlesnakes are like that. that. I'm saying in California, that's what we knew is baby yeah. rattlesnakes were really bad because that's what we had. Right. So, anyways, so I'm like, oh crap, I don't know what kind of snake this is, but it's but it's only like I don't know eight inches long. Uh-huh. Uh, it was Big really enough. really small. Yeah. Um, and so so I called Tiff out, and I was like. Hey, uh, what do you want me to do with all this stuff? She's like, what stuff? Just put it away. I was like, no, 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 this stuff. Like, I don't even know what this is. What is it? She's like, I don't, just pick it up. And I'm like, no, I, I need you to tell me what to do with each of these things. So she like walks out and she loses. So she hid in the closet. <laughs> I just showed you guys a video. <laughs> she hid in the closet for like 30 minutes. And she's screaming at me to kill this snake. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to kill it. She goes, I don't get, kill it kill it. Right. And I'm like, no, I'm going to take it outside. She goes, no, because then it's going to make babies and all the babies are going to come get me. <laughs> so anyways, it was, it was a whole ordeal. Well, that's just it. Yeah. I mean, someone had babies. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's like, what I'm saying. Well, I was like, the snake's eight inches. There's a bigger one out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. His mama's going to come looking for him. And yeah. so I didn't want to upset the mama, oh, mama snake. Got it, got so it. I just put it in a, in a shoe box, oh, took it outside, sent uh, it on its way. Yeah, I'm, I'm and She was not, she was not okay with I'm it. I'm like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm tough. I am yeah. too. Because I can't stand to look at snakes. I, I could yeah. see a snake on TV and be like, no, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Snakes, any reptile, like a, a gator or a crocodile. I just, for some reason. How many they, crocodiles have you seen in your life? One at the zoo. I checked at the zoo. So we were at the Fort Worth Zoo. <laughs> we were at the Fort Worth Zoo, man. And we walk up and it's big croc. I mean, this croc is it's the biggest crocodile ever in the history of crocodiles, man. I'm yeah. telling you. I don't know how big that thing is, but it's huge. Anyway. Remember, remember, crocodiles a- are from Africa, not. United I don't States. care where it's from. Gators dude. are here. Yeah, it don't matter. Yeah. Gators is here. Ga- Gators. So was it crocodile? <laughs> it was a cro- it's a saltwater crocodile, okay. right? Okay. So there's this big, it's in this tank and it's a glass. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I told you about yeah. this, well, right? I've been there, yeah. Oh, so you've there. seen it, right? right? So, and it's huge, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he's right against the glass and Judea, my four-year-old, is standing, is, is right, you know, right in front of me and he's looking at the croc. Dude, I... I could not get that close to that glass. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, look, you you do what you want to do, but I, I am not getting close yeah. to that glass, man. Yeah. It's scary. Man. There's something about them. So your nickname's yeah. not Steve Irwin? Steve Irwin. Do you know what that is? Crocodile so Crocodile Come on. Crocodile Hunter. No, yeah. R.I.P. There's one of us in this room. And we'll, Brian, we're going to get to you, man. Yeah. But <laughs> Sorry, one, Ryan. One of us in this room <laughs> that's like shit scared of dogs. Like really? all the way, he can't even look at a dog. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I got attacked when I was twelve. Where'd you get bit? Where'd yeah. you get bit? Right on the hiney. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> How did I not know this about it was, you? It wasn't even a big deal at all. 
But literally, anytime I see a dog now, I'm, I get nervous. You want to hear? You want to yeah, pile yeah. onto it real quick? And Ryan again. This Ryan, is, this Ryan, is a really it. important episode. So, I'm so right with you. I'm yeah, <laughs> Ryan like, can probably actually here. explain why I'm still messed yeah. up from. Yeah, and we'll get there. <laughs> he needs to explain why everything else is wrong with you too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but okay, so in Salina, uh, a little girl on my daughter's cheer team, her and her mom got attacked. Uh, by a was it Grand Pyrenees? Is that what the name of the dog is? The the sheep sheep dog. Oh, yeah. dogs. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. A big literally, dog. literally, the little girl. They just were walking by the house and they're like saying hi to them. Typically, they're pretty mellow dogs. Saying hi to them, attacked the little girl, took a huge chunk out of her leg. Jeez. The mom had to get in between them to stop, uh, to stop the dogs. The dogs wouldn't stop attacking the mom. And the daughter had to get up with a chunk out of her leg, eight years old, out of her leg to run back to her house to call her dad to come get the dogs off of the mom. And she had to, like, play dead. Yeah, she was in the hospital for, like, four or five days. Goodness. Crazy. Dogs are dangerous, man. I didn't know that. At least an alligator, you know, like, hey, I'm going to stay away from an alligator. Yeah. Yeah. But a dog tricks you. I saw saw I knew Ben was black. That's how I knew when Ben was like, Ben, I don't like dogs. I was like, see? See, There you go. Me and you have been running. Yeah, we've been running. We've been running from dogs. All right. All right. So now that we got the trauma out there, we got some trauma. Really, really excited about our guest today. So our guest, Ryan Casey Waller, is we have a mutual friend uh, that that connected us a couple weeks ago and been really excited about this because where we're at in our country right now, um, this this topic that we're going to discuss, you know, in this episode, as well as the next uh, we're this is going to be a two parter here. Um, but, uh, the mental, the mental illness aspect is, is an area that you are currently really focused on and you've got an incredible journey that, that led you up to this, that we're going to, we're going to talk through. Uh, but I'm going to introduce Ryan Casey Waller. So Ryan is, listen, y'all ready for this? And this is going to be a very abbreviated, we're going to let him, you know, talk through the rest of his journey, but he's a lawyer, he's a priest. He's a writer, mm. which we're going to talk quite a bit about uh, the book that he has coming out. He's a uh, therapist working uh, on the marriage side. Um, he's a mental health advocate, uh, and he's a ghostwriter. So, uh, I mean, and he's a father of two. Father of two. I don't know wow. how you. I don't know how you have time for for all of that. And I think most importantly, husband, father of two. Like that's that yeah. that's first. But um, but lives here in Dallas. And Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're really big about the journey and how uh, people that are making an impact in our community, how they got to where they're at, uh, to encourage people that it's a process and it is a journey. Um, and just because you may be in a place right now that is not necessarily where you want to end up, stick with it, keep pushing forward. Um, strive just to make an impact in people's lives. And, we, and that's what we want the encouragement to be. So start us way back. Start us where you're from, yeah. uh, what your childhood was like, the the dynamics in your house, you know, school. Talk us through that process. Yeah, sure. Well, I've been, I mean, I appreciate that introduction. There have been times in which people have sort of looked at or said, oh, my goodness, this is what you've done. Like, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, mm-hmm. you know, why do you keep, like can you not just figure out what it is that you want to like be when you grow up or like, what's the problem? So just even like looking at that and being curious about it, you know, with respect to this whole notion of coming at life as a process, right? It is a process and it is about the progression constantly, right? Instead of just like, Oh, let's 
be at the end or let's have some like perfected state of whatever. It's like, no, that's, that's a recipe to be miserable. Right. Mm -hmm. And unhappy. So I appreciate that. So thank you for, uh, even looking at the little brief sketch of my life and saying, well, okay, there's (laughs) obviously been a process that's going on here. Uh, cause that's how I've seen it. Um, but yeah, man. So I grew up, uh, in Arlington. So right around here. And, uh, I was the third of four kids. So grew up in a kind of very typical suburban home in Arlington, I got an older brother and two sisters, older sister and younger sister. Grew up in a little community, went to the same uh, little Christian school from kindergarten all the mm. way through 12th grade. Mm. Uh, everybody in my family went to Baylor. Everybody that like I grew up with ended up going to Baylor. It was expected that I would mm-hmm. go to Baylor. And by the time I turned 18, I was like, you know what I'm not going to do is Whoa. go to go Baylor. To Baylor. <laughs> so, Whoa. Uh, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with me? I know, right? <laughs> I was so sad. My senior year of high school, I remember my mom like... I uh, just kept asking every day, like, when are you going to fill out that, you know, that Baylor application? <laughs> and she, like, left it on the counter. This is when, like, we still actually yeah, go out. Yeah, with yeah. pencils, yeah. right? Been there. Because you might have to erase something. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And I was like, yeah, you know, Mom, I, I'm just actually not going to fill that out, right? I mean, I was, like, dead set on doing something something different. And so um, that's what I did. Uh, I, I graduated. And, um, by the way, I should mention, growing up in Arlington, um, the years that, you know, you were with the Cowboys were yeah. like the greatest. Absolutely. And so like, um, absolutely. Right. Go ahead. You keep going. Keep going with that. Keep, keep going, going with that. that. Right? Um, <laughs> and this is like true. And I told this to you on the phone, like growing up, I had a favorite player on the Dallas Cowboys and it was this man sitting right next to man, me. Man, so I didn't just, know. Yeah. Tyler didn't tell me that. I didn't know no, that. No, no, I didn't want your, I didn't want your head that. any bigger than oh, already. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, let's just, turn, stop recording right now. So hold on. I got to get, I got to, I got to get this out. So growing up in Arlington, right, like anyone else who grows up in Texas, you know, young boy, like playing football is like the thing, right? So played flag football as a little kid, loved it, got to junior highs, first time to put on pads. I'm like, I'm going to play because I went to a small private school. So it was possible for someone of like my stature (laughs) to to keep playing, right? So I played in the seventh grade. I was absolutely terrible, just got knocked around. And again, I guess in seventh and eighth grade, we only practiced with the ninth graders. They didn't make us practice with the varsity yet. So seventh grade, still terrible, but like liked it. Eighth grade, got to start. I was a starting Mm. free safety, no interceptions, uh, (laughs) made a few tackles, right? And I was like, okay, this is getting better. I'm going to keep going. So ninth grade, though, you kind of graduate up in our school. It's like, all right, you're going to practice, you know, with the varsity. It's like one team, essentially, It's like for one practice. team. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like one team for practice. There was a yeah. JV, yeah. Uh, which I was, you know, relegated to. And then I stood <laughs> on the sidelines for the varsity games. But so you go in for the, the physical, right, the summer, you know, before you're going to start, like, the two-a-days and, yeah. you know, and everything. I will never forget this. Go in. I'm waiting in line for the physical. It's finally my turn. You go in the room with the nurse, right? And she's going to take your vitals. And before she does that, she's going to take your height and weight. So you stand on the scale. She does the height. She does the weight. And this is what she says, and I quote, as she writes down my measurements. Five foot nine, 120 pounds. Huh. That is the perfect height and weight for a female supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh my god. I swear. And the only thing only thing I could By think the way, of, this is right before she's about to check your oh, nuts. Yeah. <laughs> that have at this point gone inside of my body. Yeah. yeah. They're not even there. Holy cow. Right? And she says and also the only thing I think the only thought I had was don't 
crying in front of me. <laughs> like, wait, you know what I mean? <laughs> so anyway, I, I played. If you didn't cry, you're a stronger man. Yeah, no, I just I, walked I, out. I, I cried when I went back and got in the car to right. go home. So my mom like driving me home. Anyway, that was my last year. I got knocked around the entire the entire year, like in practice. And oh. I was like, I think I have to like take my talents elsewhere. <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> to the <laughs> runway. <laughs> to the runway, that's right. Wow. And unfortunately so... for me, I, I kept growing taller, but never even, you know, got all that much wow. heavier. There were a few oh. pounds that came. Um, but, you know, love football, been a football fan, but that was the, uh, that was the end of my That was a breaking point after that. <laughs> that was, that was done. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, there was I totally enough. understand that. So, anyway. uh, so if you're that nurse out there and you happen to be listening. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you yeah. ruined his football career. Oh, ruined his football career, but probably saved a lot of lives in the yeah. process. Saved a lot of lives, right? <laughs> Redirected his path. <laughs> I've never thought about that. Where is that woman? Yeah. yeah. I'd love to have words What an impact. Yeah. 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 It'd be nice. So anyway, that, you know, made it through high school. And then didn't go to Baylor, uh, went to USC, Southern Cal, so Pac-12 oh, yeah, Pac yeah, guy, yeah. Um, or it was Pac-10, you know, yeah. back then. And um, I went out there, and uh, I studied, of all things, um, I started out as a theater major, right? Mm -hmm. And then I, and I transferred out of the theater department to the only more, if there's a one major that was more unmarketable than like studying theater was philosophy. Yeah. And so that's what I decided to do. Uh, took a philosophy course, fell in love with sort of the, um, the art of thinking. And um, I'd always been interested in theology and religion, but then sort of like, you know, getting into the, to the queen of sciences as, as they call it in philosophy. Uh, took a course from a guy named Dallas Willard. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a, he was a giant. He recently died a few years ago, but a giant in the philosophy world, but also in sort of like the Christian thinking world, wrote a real famous book called The Divine Conspiracy, and started taking courses with him, fell in love with it, so I studied philosophy and religion out there. Uh, a great experience, loved it. Uh, are you from California? I Sorry. am, yeah, from yeah, Fresno, yeah. Yep. Okay, from so Fresno. central California, but spent a lot of time down in Southern California. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was completely my vibe, it was exactly what I was looking mm -hmm. for, loved every part of it, especially coming up in the really small kind of conservative yeah i was gonna say yeah you know, you, you yeah. came from a conservative arlington it's you know, small, small christian school, yeah you know, small christian and then school. you get into la you know what was was that a wake-up call when you got there or was Man. it just something what years what in? years was that it was that different i was there from 2000 to 2004 okay so it was also there in like the yeah. heyday of like football it was like yeah. fantastic yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. i rode the rave yeah. like that's uh, right that was carson palmer's but last say, year palmer's yeah. last year and then leinert stepped in yeah and, yeah we yeah. like lost nothing the entire time i was there yeah. um which was fantastic but yeah it was wild it was what i was looking for yeah um it was you know growing up everyone that i was around uh not only looked like me but they sort right. of had the same like belief system and, and in fact in sort of the system that i came up in and i don't want to sound ungrateful for it because i was grateful for the the tight-knit community a lot of the values even though of course i i view things very differently like now mm -hmm. but there was a lot of love and support um particularly in my own family my parents are fantastic just wonderful parents like mm -hmm. um I've had lots of, you know, issues or, or, or troubles in life, but when I look at sort of those early years, very much was brought up in a, a house that was filled with love. Mm -hmm. But school was just, yeah, everybody was like the same, and I had this sense that there was something bigger. Right. Mm -hmm. And actually, it was the summer before my senior year in high school that really opened my eyes. I got to spend the summer up in Manhattan. Uh, mm. You got a theater school. That's what right. it was, right? Mm -hmm. right. And so my parents, can believe this, I was 17 years old. They rented a like a studio apartment and left me there. I spent three months in Manhattan on my own. 
And like, fortunately, I was a really naive kid. Right. So like, like I was like rollerblading in Central Park. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, like what I was. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I was like that kind of kid. So I think that's why oh, they like I me. couldn't that's imagine. How old are you? Eighteen? Seventeen? Seventeen? Man. 17. 17. God, could you imagine seventeen? Could you imagine sending your children at seventeen oh, to Manhattan? No, no, no. They still would have been. My parents would have been my parents, right? No. Like, the ability to like. Let the leash go and like let them uh, like, let them be them. Like there's no way. Like I and I was always that dad too that was always like, oh, I'm not gonna be a helicopter dad. I'm gonna yeah. let them go. And now it's like, no, 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 don't take no two steps in the street too far. Come back, come back, come back. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah, they were like truly like kind of like '80s parents. Like yeah. they did the whole thing. Like you know, um, seatbelts. Like what were those? You know, that oh, sort of. Wow. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. New York. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess. They let you grow. They so yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess she'll be fine. So three months in Manhattan, yeah. and, and you're studying theater there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was okay. at a theater school, and and I was the youngest person in it. So everybody there, most of them were like kind of like fresh out of college, um, or they were you know in their mid twenties, like trying to make it as actors. Mm. And there was just whole this whole world was was opened up to me, and I just realized, oh my goodness, I would like more of this. I don't know what to think about any of it, but it's just it's really different. And I really did. I I would spend the evenings like strolling around Manhattan, which is obviously really different than Arlington, yes. right? It yeah, wasn't yeah, what I had seen. Yeah. And I'd been fortunate to travel a bit because my mother, my father was in construction and and uh, boom and bust kind of deal yeah. entrepreneur. And so in the '80s, when things fell out, my mom had to go to work and she became a flight attendant. And so we got to travel a lot back in the day because nice. it was free, right? And right. everything kind of like pre-9-11, you used to be able to walk on, you could like, you know, non-rev on flights. Mm. So I got to get around and see some things, but being in that urban environment for that long, I realized, okay, you know, I want more. So uh, I decided I'm either going to go back to New York or I was going to go to, you know, Southern California. Yep. So that's where I went. And yeah, I loved everything about the diversity. It was, it was challenging. I loved being around, um, people that were just totally different than mm -hmm, me. Yeah. One of the reasons I went there was that year in 2000, Time Magazine had named USC the College of the Year, and they had done that primarily because of the work that USC was doing in the community. So mm -hmm. if you're familiar with where SC is, yeah, it, um, it abuts Compton, right? right yeah, it's not too far yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. South Central, right? And so there's this, um, a lot of people, they'll often say, oh, man, I was going to go to USC, then I visited the campus, and I was like, out of there, which is like a very, um, they're well, trying not to be racist, or they're yeah. trying to cover up like a racist right. remark there. It's like, yeah. oh, but then you like saw that there were like people, people there in a yeah, different yeah. community. Like real right? folk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, real folk. Yeah. So they, don't, they weren't any part of that, but... Um, at least when I was there, there was this real sort of like open campus policy and this great work between the two communities. But nonetheless, um, it was a stark difference between, mm -hmm. you know, these kids at this, you know, private, pretty well-to-do school mm -hmm. in this community. And so I, everything about it, I loved. Yeah. And it gave me the liberal education that I was seeking that said, look, um, it's a big, bad world out there. You want to learn more about it? Like, go for it, right? Mm. There's no strictures here. We're not going to tell you exactly what to think. Like, here are the tools to learn how to think. You know, go for it. So, yeah. um, so did you live on campus your first couple years? I lived, yeah. I lived in the dorm the first year, and then I moved um, just a couple blocks away. So okay. right there, kind of off Hoover, if you know the area. Hoover mm -hmm. and 28. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hoover and West Hoover, 28. Hoover Crips. You, oh, bro, you banging over there. Yeah. <laughs> I saw <laughs> I saw a few things, um, yeah. yeah, and you'd hear, you know, the, the helicopter yeah. every night, right? Every night, and um, so let me ask you: Did you ever question? I, you, you come from a, a background with a faith, mm -hmm. and you know, living in Arlington, small town, um, small school, Christian school. Did you ever 
once you stepped out of that world, did you ever question your faith through that process? Was there ever moments where you thought, you know, there's something, you know, there's, you know, maybe there's something else out there. Did you go through that when you went in, went into college? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The whole, I would say kind of a baby deconstruction of my faith began then mm. when my mind was just open to not only, because of course, so I came up in this, you know, Christian worldview, but even if we're being honest, right. And you kind of look at historical Christianity, like it's broad and it's wide, right? right? So it's like, which version of Christianity are you even talk, talking about, right? And so just being opened up to, to the fact that there are all sorts of different ideas and all sorts of branches of this thing, that begins that. But then at USC, you get around, there were so many people, so many students from different countries, right? And different mm-hmm. cultures. So right. it's not just like Christianity, but now you mean people that that are, um, that are uh, Jewish and, and Muslim and Hindu and, you know, all of this. And so, yeah, I began thinking really deeply. But the actual deconstruction of my faith, the only, I would say, the, um, like the kind of crisis points actually came later when I, was, when I went to seminary and was mm. studying more, you know, um, at a graduate level okay. that I really began to break down my faith, which, um, which essentially, like, in a nutshell, we can— if we want to jump there, we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's like, jump there. Yeah. Yeah, there. yeah, for me, people talk about like, you know, a lot of people who came up in the world that I came up in, which was not quite like a fundamentalist, you know, mm-hmm. place, but the evangelical, like, you know, you definitely were obsessed with kind of like right thinking, like you need to have the right kind of beliefs and right. here are the beliefs you need to have, mm-hmm. right? And then that's the orthodoxy and you get it. Oftentimes when they get outside of that and some of that begins to crumble and there mm-hmm. is the kind of the intellectual framework that we built isn't exactly like I was told Absolutely. the whole thing falls away. That didn't never, that never quite happened for me. Here's what happened for me. When I began to, to really delve into what does this mean for me and what it is that, what do I believe? My faith in God never went away. Like, so, so I can't say that I'm one of those people that, that, that ever actually even like doubted God existed. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not one of those people that can like find the moment where I began to believe in God. If I'm being totally honest and I trace, trace it all the way back, I can't remember a time in which I didn't believe in God. Absolutely. I been just, there. I, Same. I, I can't do it. Right. Yep. Like I just, I felt this presence. Here's where my struggle came in. I began to doubt that God cared. Mm. Mm. I began to feel as though, okay, there is God. But God is definitely not this interpersonal God that I was told that I could interact with and that would listen to me mm-hmm. and cared about my plights because I was faced with the reality of all this suffering in the world. And I thought, this just can't be true. Right. Like, yeah. how, how can this be true? Because I look around and, and, and stuff is like bad, like, yes. like real yeah. bad yes. and yeah. real unfair and all this. And I thought, so, so, you know, how and why? So here's how it came to a head for me. I finally got to the point where I was like, all right, intellectually, if this isn't true, then what that would mean is this thing that I've done my entire life, which is pray, right? You have this like, I've just always been a prayer, whether that was formal or informal, felt like I could like converse with God, right? In sort of a mystical sense, like feel God's presence, talk to God, whatever. I thought if, if, if this isn't real, then if I stop doing it, it won't matter. Hmm won't affect my life right so that's exactly what i did so this mm. is the minute when i'm stu- so i'm going i'm in seminary this is also when i was in law school i went to law school and seminary concurrently so this is what i did after usc so i'm at smu now studying law and studying divinity holy smokes you know, i mean i don't know how 
how many words you read. <laughs> that's, just a huge, that's just a huge yeah. dork, totally. man. Yeah. <laughs> that is a huge dork. Yeah, I don't read so good. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah but I mean, you, you, I mean, so. you chose, uh, you know, two, you know, higher educations that are so deep in so many levels, right? Like on the theology side, you're digging into, okay, biblical testaments, historical documents. Okay, hey, we're correlating all this. And then, but you're also dealing with like the faith aspect, which, you know, I'm sure you're going to continue going on. But but then on the on the legal side, I mean, holy That's smokes. That is, yeah, you got a, a lot of room up there. I don't know. Holy don't smokes. Know. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, try hard. I have a hard time, you know, taking one thing from day one to day two. <laughs> the Sports Illustrated yeah, articles get a little long for them. Oh, man. <laughs> Okay, so Instagram. I was looking at pictures. Yeah, I need just a paragraph, man. So sum it up. So you're in. So you're in law school and seminary. Yeah, I was in law school and seminary, which that in of itself was really was a weird dynamic because, especially at like SMU, it's a very corporate law school, right? So people are there to like go into corporate law or like real estate or whatever. Is it's very you know capitalist, like which I at the time I kind of thought that's what I would do because when I came out with the philosophy degree. The, everyone in my department was doing three things. You either were going to be, um, they were going to medical school, they're going to law school, or they're just going to be like unemployed. Like yeah. it was like, we're going to smoke pot and like yeah. keep talking just about yeah. 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 <laughs> And so I was like, well, I don't think I just want to hang around here. I don't think my parents are going to be cool with that. Yeah. Right. And um, if I'm going to go to medical school, I've got to take some more prereqs. I don't want to do that. Like law school sounds good. You yeah. know, and I had a cousin who had just graduated from SMU yeah. and Went to work for a big firm downtown Dallas. Was mm. making a ton of money on your first year out. I thought like, yeah, like me too. Yeah. Not like giving any, not even really like examining like, do you think that's gonna make you happy or fulfilled? I just yeah. like did it or whatever. Right? Do you think though before you before you go on? Do you think that college trained you to think that way? Like your education at USC and and I and I and I would say this university system wide across the country is the thinking is is oh yeah. I'm not, what's next? I'm going to go hop into a job that makes the most money. Yeah. It, 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 that's happening now, which I, which I, I think is a sad thing. I think mm. mine happened this way. It should have gone a different way. It's, it's totally my fault. I feel like I was actually given the opportunity to enjoy college in the way that it's meant to be enjoyed, which is here is, here is a time and a space in your life in which you have access to sort of like an unending amount of, of wisdom mm-hmm. and knowledge for which you can explore, right, the mm-hmm. art of learning and expanding your mind. And you have to do that without quickly being funneled into some sort of like career path. Mm-hmm. This is a very special time to like figure out, learn about who you are, learn how to have relationships yeah. with people, right, enjoy it. Um, but then also just ex- ex- explore. And I was yeah. able to do that. I think I panicked at the end of it. Okay. Mm. Which, again, I, I shouldn't have. I didn't have parents that were pressuring me. I just think this was, and we, we'll get into this, part of one of my struggles is that I strive. I, I want to strive because um, I need some sort of, and this has taken years of therapy to figure out, but I didn't realize this at the time, but I needed some external validation to feel okay about myself. Mm-hmm. And so I think I got to the end of that. And if I was honest, like if I was really honest with myself, like what I would have done then is I should have done a PhD. Like I should have just stayed and kind of, I should have kept pursuing what I was passionate about. Instead, I was like, oh, what do I need to do? And I discovered early on, like as you're winding down college, and when you told your girlfriend's like parents you were going to go to law school, everyone's like, "Good boy, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 that's the next step. That's the yeah. next step. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. Good for you. Like yeah. you know what I mean." Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, I, I what I hate seeing nowadays is this pressure on kiddos, even in high school, depending on which kind of like um, school you're in, to like figure it out to mm-hmm. like you know whatever right now right. it doesn't seem all that healthy to yeah. me we're not allowing young people necessarily the space to explore what it is that they want their life to be about mm-hmm. yeah. and this is part of what maybe we'll talk about this on the next episode part of the depression and the anxiety that you're seeing amongst young people is this intense pressure early on that they've that the sign-up sheet for life or whatever is going to be taken away really soon yeah mm-hmm. and so you better like hit a home run you better do it right, right now. now yeah, yeah. And if you make one misstep, it's all, all over. over. Yeah, and you know that's that's it's one thing that I, that I have struggled with, and I and same same deal. You know, my, my coach kind of brought up is, and it, and it starts with parents. And as much as as parents love kids, right, and we want the best for our kids, instead of having that unconditional love, just to follow what you're passionate about, what you love doing. It is, we are trained from a very early age that it is conditional love based on your performance. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so early on, we're, it's ingrained. If you behave and you do the things that I tell you to do as a parent, then you're a good kid and I love you, right? right? And if you don't do those things, then I'm going to punish you, right? And there's right. there's a line that it needs to be there, right? As parents, because sure. there's got to be boundaries that are set and the, that, that have to you have to learn. But like as parents... We want we want them to think how we we think because we've we're experienced, right? And right. we've gone through life and we've experienced those things. Just trust me. Just yeah. trust me. Which again, it's there's not there's not like fault of parents for that. But what it does and 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 for me, and I didn't even know this until gosh, three months ago. It was like mm. I've been trained to have conditional love, not right. unconditional love, based off of how I performed, which then transferred to, okay, now it's got to be the next thing, and I've got to perform, and I've got to get better, and I've got to get better, and I've got to get better. And like you said, that just leads to anxiety, depression, yeah. because... Well, let's... Th- let's, let's and I know we were going to talk go, more about that, Let's but go, yeah, your let's, point exactly... Yeah. Well, absolutely. let's make sure we come back to that. Let's yeah. come I want to know because yeah. the question there is, what's the antidote there? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I think that's something we've had discussions about on yeah. previous, and even just amongst ourselves. So that's a hot topic okay. for us yeah. okay. on the yeah. next one. But I want to go back yeah. because yeah. you you were talking about your faith yeah. in seminary school. Yeah. So, so we want to follow that story. Continue with that. Yes, sir. So where I got my my crisis, so to speak, was I don't think God cares. And so if God doesn't care or God doesn't hear me, then I'll stop praying, mm. right? Because then it, w- it won't affect my life. Mm. And then I'll kind of know it was an experiment, so to speak. So that's exactly what I did for um, about 18 months. So mind you, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm in seminary, right? Mm-hmm. I'm studying this material and I decided to just shut up my own spiritual life to stop doing something i've done my entire how hard was it life. that had i mean did you have to work at doing that or did it that was that something natural man the weirdest thing at first i had to work a little bit but then i was surprised by how quickly i just it faded away it just faded away yeah. so here's the thing though during that time like like you know i was you know disease did not befall me right my life did not sort of just like jump off the tracks. It would later jump off the tracks. Right? <laughs> it doesn't jump off the tracks here. Um, nothing, nothing really bad happened to me. But over time, I, I, I began to feel sort of a, a, a deadening to me. Right? Mm-hmm. There was an enchantment. There was a, a romantic aspect of my life that, that wasn't 
there and I didn't mm-hmm. notice it slowly creeping up yeah. on me, right? So you get about 18 months down the line and one day, and I don't know what it was on this particular day, but I decided I was going to pray again. And here's the only way I can describe it. When I prayed, it was as though I had not been eating or drinking for these 18 months and somehow I was still alive. And the moment I began praying again, it was like nothing short of resurrection. Mm-hmm. I felt my life. Mm. And, and like I cannot, I cannot explain that rationally, right? right? I can't I can't offer like some kind of like evidence. We can't put that on the table. We can't examine it, right? It's the scientific method. I can't prove this out to you. I can only describe to you my experience, which was, oh no, this is real. Mm-hmm. And this is a part of who you are, in fact. And as I look back on it, right, now I can, like, I can, I can see it as, like, whether or not that's true for anyone else, what's true, what's definitely true for me, right, is that this connection that I felt since I was a young boy with God is real. Yes. It is yeah, real. Absolutely. And I need it. Yeah. And, I mean, your story speaks to, similar to mine, I didn't stop, but... There is like a sensual relationship. There is something different. I mean, when I, when, and I'm a little crazy this way, I can be driving to work and I'm talking, like verbally talking to God. We're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's not like he's somewhere else. He's, he's present mm-hmm. and he's hearing me. Yeah. And much like you, I don't remember when that started. It just, it just was. It, it wasn't any, crazy moment that happened in my life to it that now I'm getting, I'm going to get saved. And it's just, it was a part of me from day one. I've always been a prayer. I couldn't imagine like consciously taking a step back and saying, I'm not going to pray because it was, it's just within me. And it could be at any, I could be in a football game and I'm praying. It's third and two and I'm praying, Mm. I'm talking to him. That's just, so it's so interesting to hear your story because it's more, you just said it, it it's a relationship. It's, yeah. you know, it's and it's hard to explain. It's as hard for you to explain yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I appreciate you saying that and, and admitting it because so often we, where our culture has gone with so much of this is that we don't make room enough for making space for the for things that can be true that that cannot be explained, right? right? Mm-hmm. And that's an okay thing mm-hmm. because it's more intellectually honest, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's too, it's like cut up my brain and show me where hope lives, right? Like, show me where love, like, not. And, and look, I, I'm a I'm a rational kind of guy, right? And I, I'm a I like science, mm-hmm. but that is not the only way we can know things, right? And it's not just mm-hmm. it doesn't the things that we can know outside of the scientific method are not all relegated to, well, that's your opinion. No, there, there's truth and there's beauty mm-hmm. in this world. Right. And we can mm-hmm. know them on a cellular level without ever being able to fully explain Absolutely. Them. Yes. Absolutely. Gosh, I love so, that. That is that's strong. Yeah. All right, so we got caught yeah. up there, man. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You brought tears to my eyes. Okay, so, all right, now you're in seminary yeah. school. So, okay. so, you, so, yeah, so, so you continue praying and, it, and you, so and you feel this and, resurrection. Yeah, I feel this resurrection. And that really, that, that, that began the reconstruction Uh of all these doubts and things that I had where I had to make it, I had to really make it my own. And that was a journey, right? For me. Um, And so where that leads me, let's see. um, 
I finish up law school. I finish up seminary. Um, so my faith life is active again. I practice law for a little bit. Um, by the time I, I finished law school, though, I wasn't finished with my work in the seminary, but I felt like I owed it to myself and to my parents who had like paved the way for me to take the bar and get a job. So I did all that, right, and got licensed and practiced for a little bit, but I hadn't finished my work at the seminary. And so I practiced for a couple of years, and at the time, um, I met who would become my wife, and we were dating, and I was really honest with her that like I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. She was a school teacher, mm-hmm. and every day I was jealous of how like she just seemed like happy in her life. Right. She liked what yeah. she was doing, uh-huh. you know, and she felt like she was making a difference, and she was there, and she liked it. And every day when I was like kind of grinding, I was like, I'm miserable. Like yeah. I show up to this because it's like, again, good job. Right. You're yeah. at the bar, yeah. or whatever. What do you? Do? I'm a lawyer. People, are like, oh, good job. You know, yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. I was like, this does nothing for me. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so with her encouragement and kind of her blessing, again, we were still dating at the time. I went back to finish, um, uh, my seminary work and I worked part-time as like a contract attorney. So these were like hard days. There was at one point where I was doing contract work out in Tyler, Texas. So I would wake up on Monday mornings. I would drive to Tyler, Texas. I would work a 10 to 12 hour day. I would then drive back to Dallas. I would go to, go to class Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then drive back out to Tyler and do the same thing Friday, oh. sometimes stay through the weekend. To, so I was making, so I could make just enough money to pay my rent. Um, pay for gas. Pay, pay for gas, dude. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> pay for. Uh, uh, Couldn't have done that in California, by the way. No. Just gas prices. No, there. just gas prices. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, I, my parents had bought me this ridiculous car when I graduated high school. So I'm doing this in a, it was a little, you remember the, um, the, the M Roadster at the BMW. Remember the Z? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was. It was yeah. like the racing yeah. version of it. So it was like a 12-gallon tank or something. So you have to like stop for gas like every like 35 minutes or whatever to like yeah. fill this thing up. Uh, and I remember driving back and forth though. Now at the time, the AC was kind of not working. And it's not poor old me. I mean, it was a sweet car. Yeah. But like anyway, just driving back and forth. But anyway, barely making enough just to like make it. And by the end, I'm definitely like going in the red. Like I'm yeah. like not making it. Um but to end, to fast forward there, I, I finished my work at the seminary, I graduate, and then that summer, my wife and I get married, so this is July of 2010, mm-hmm. and then I start my first, my first job, the transition from law to like kind of the church world was I started, I got hired to teach religion at All Saints Episcopal School in yeah, Fort Worth. Fort Worth, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Fort yeah. Worth, kind of like the sister school of ESD mm-hmm. here. Right. And so I go over there, and I teach there for three years, and it, uh, it was the one of the greatest experiences of my life. So I go to work with these kids and I teach them religion. And, um, and that is where I just realized for the first time, really, I really, really liked working uh, with people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with adolescence, because I wasn't their priest, I wasn't their chaplain, I was their religion teacher. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it was just the subject matter or just the way that we were or my age at the time, we connected, and I think they sensed that I cared about them, mm-hmm. and so they started, they would come to me, and they'd, you know, we would talk, right? Yeah. They, you know, they let me into their lives. Great experience. Can't say enough good things about that school, that place. Loved it. Um, but it was that journey that led me on the path to then becoming a priest. So I worked there for three years, and then uh, the church that I'm attending at the time uh, church of the incarnations here in Dallas. That's where we're going to church. And, uh, they offered me a job to come over there and start working on staff. And I do that. So that's like 2013. And then I stay on staff there for like the next six years or so, ultimately becoming a priest mm-hmm. and then and serving in that place. 
And it was there um, that I also became really interested in mental health. And so, and we can talk about this more maybe in the next segment, but in terms of my own personal journey, it was during that time that I was working in the church that I began to see that there were a lot of people that were struggling in ways that they were looking to the church for the answers and the help, and the church, I was discovering, wasn't fully equipped Mm -hmm. to help them in these particular ways. So here's how it would play out for me as a priest. People would show up in my office, and they would be distraught. Like, things have been going wrong for, like, a long time, mm-hmm. right? Whether it was an issue with, like, a substance or it was a marriage that was crumbling or they've been depressed or whatever it was, and I feel like they were showing up to me, and it was like a Hail Mary, right? right. They were thinking, like, show up and just and finally be honest about this and tell you, and maybe you'll pray for me or mm-hmm. for blessing or something, it'll be, like, you know, fixed. And I kept finding myself being, like, Sounds to me, it sounds to me like you're depressed, you know. Mm. Or it sounds it sounds to me like maybe you and your wife ought to like go see a counselor or or, or what or, or sounds to me like I mean, how much are you drinking, you know, like these right. sorts of things. And I, I found there was this great pushback, like oh no 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 no, like uh, I don't I don't we don't we don't do counseling, you know. Right. I, 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 don't, I don't I don't I don't need that. I just need you to like say a prayer for right. me. Yeah, you know? yeah. Mm. I was like, whoa, like what is this, yeah. right? What what is this? But I got to push pause on on that right there. I had recently gone through my own um, introduction, if you will, over uh, over those few years of therapy, mm-hmm. which was had given me this insight. So if I so if I back up a little bit, was that individual therapy or was that you and your wife? Therapy. Okay, right. right. Mm-hmm. The, the couples counseling yeah, comes yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God yeah. <laughs> that, that continues to this day. Right. Um, I've got no. I mean, my wife and I like. We go to our therapist, yeah. and it's uh-huh. like really helpful and really necessary. Uh, and um, yeah, I want to dig into that more. Just the idea, the stigma that's associated. Oh, you're in counseling. Oh man, like uh, no, uh, we are working, continuing to like grow, grow closer together. Oh. This not fixing whatever, whatever it is, but you're constantly fixing. But yeah. we're working. Yes. I love the way you put that. Yeah. Right there's the stigma. Like you know, we don't we don't have that with anything else. It's like oh, you go to the gym every day. Like what? Well, because if I don't, right, yeah. I'm not taking care of, yeah. my, you know what I mean? Oh, you, getting you, stronger. I'm getting yeah. stronger. You yeah. know, there's this, well, we can yeah. definitely get into that. But um, here's what had happened to me. A few years into working at the church, um, I've always been like a nervous guy. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't think I had this realization until later in life. But like examining like my childhood, I would have these like, I was aware that I was more nervous than my like buddies around me for mm-hmm. things, you know? And even like in school, which I would I never had a problem with, I would like overly prepare for things. And I had this like real, real heavy sense of like impending doom. Like I can't fail, right? I've got to be perfect. Like I've got to like do this thing. I've got to make it. And so I put all this pressure on myself. And so like my entire childhood, like I would have these just bouts of being nervous or like have my stomach would get upset before like a practice, even a practice. I remember like practices through like athletics. Not I was never good, but I was still mm-hmm. like, why am I so nervous? You know, just yeah, like fearful, right. nervous, 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 continued into my adulthood. And I, and I reasoned in my mind, I was like, you know, I don't think this is normal and people around me don't seem to be suffering in this way. But at the same time, if I wasn't like this, I just told myself, well, you probably wouldn't be able to succeed. You probably wouldn't be good at anything. If you're they, not. If you're not. Right. Yeah. So I thought, oh, well, this is like your secret weapon because you'll mm-hmm. prepare whatever. And I told myself until I told myself until I broke. And what happened was my family, which I had described to you early, had always been really close knit. 
And soon after um, my family of origin, so like mm-hmm. my brothers, my sisters, my yeah. parents, right about the time that my wife and I got married, so this is 2010, there was a falling out um, within my family of origin. And sort of to, you know, to protect what, what happened there, there was just some serious grievances between my siblings. And it affected all of us. It affected, you know, the relationship. And at the same time, too, my parents, my father, who's an entrepreneur, had been real successful, kind of boom and bust, mm-hmm. um, uh, suffered greatly in 2008, like a lot of, like yeah. a lot of people yeah. did, right? Yeah. And this is a guy who, like my parents, neither one of them went to college. Um, or my dad went to college, didn't graduate. Um, you know, blue collar, but like made his way in this world, sent like all of his kids right. to private school, like mm-hmm. paid the whole thing. I mean, sent me to USC, like sent my siblings to Baylor and TCU, sent me to law school. I mean, like, like was like, did really well. Way, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. just an incredibly selfless, like just selfless, selfless, selfless. But then went through a real difficult time in 08. And then that continued. And then there were the interpersonal dynamics between my family. Anyway, I thought my role was to fix all the relationships with my family. And so I was a newlywed trying to figure out how to be married. And then also then trying to like, I felt like I had to like save my family and I'm working in the church and dealing with everybody else's problems yeah. too. And I started having panic attacks, which I ha- I didn't even know that's what they were at the time. And if you ever had a panic attack or had somebody describe what they're like, it's like hell on earth. Um, these moments that would just come out of the blue and I was convinced that I was dying, you know, mm. that I was having a heart attack, like chest hurt. I'd start sweating. Body was shaking. Like, um, biologically, once a panic attack, a true panic attack sets in on someone, there's really nothing you can do. That's why we have to be preventative about it. And we'll yeah. talk about mm-hmm. that because you basically just have to write it out mm-hmm. and they're in their nightmares. And so this started happening and it would happen like in moments where I was like, I'd be preaching sometimes since you're in a room filled with like hundreds Ooh. of people and you're just like, all you want to do is just like run from the mm. room, you know? Mm. And so I think I'm like, am I losing my mind? I couldn't sleep at night, like all this stuff. And that finally drove me. I was like, I got to talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. I got to talk to somebody. And I had this great stigma in my own mind. Cause I thought this means I'm like, I'm weak, I'm yeah. weak, man. Yeah. Or like I'm, I'm broken. broken mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, and I, and I can't be that. Because I'm a performer, Absolutely. I'm a striver, and there are people that are relying right. on me. You're a fixer, right? I'm a fixer. Your, your job is to hold everybody else together, and if right. you yeah. fall apart, then how are you going to hold? Yeah. yeah. Where's where? What does it mean for my identity hmm. if I don't have the peace? Yeah. Right. That means like I'm a fraud. Right. right. That's what. I, that's what I thought. And so, even though, right, at the same time, I'm telling you, people are kind of coming to my office, and I'm telling, them, oh, you should go see a counselor. You should go see a counselor. I'll never forget the very first session I ever had with my with my therapist. I was telling him all this, and he's like, "So you you tell other people, right, to go get this help, and you yeah. you won't go get it yourself, <laughs> right?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Yeah." And he said, "And yet, today, here you sit, and in that moment, my healing begun." Uh-huh. And um, and I began going to therapy, and um, I had to work out a million things that were going on with me, which is what you know. And I also had to like come to the realization that like I needed to be on an antidepressant, mm-hmm. and I had so so much internalized sort of like bias against that. And I remember just I remember like going home that first time and like 
telling my wife, I think I'm going to take this medication and fearing that she was going to see me differently, mm-hmm. not be attracted to me. Like somehow I think I was like less of a man. Like what, what? I mean, it was hard for me. Mm. And that was a bumpy, um, a bumpy ride for, for a long time, but I stuck with it. And what, I, what I, what happened was, um, I got healthier, right? Mm-hmm. Over time, I got healthier over time. And the, the anxiety issues I made great progress on through the combination of psychotherapy um, and, and medication, mm-hmm. which we can talk about more in the next episode. So that gets better, but then here's what happens. So I keep going, kind of feel like I get my own issues like under control. Mm-hmm. There's progress that's being made. And even over the course of time, like my family begins to heal, things start to get better. And, and what year is this now that we're at? So that's a great question. So... Things are probably really going well and and more stable. So this all kind of begins in 2010. We're probably now to 2014. Okay. Yeah, 2013, 2014. So this was years and years yeah, of, yeah, 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 of yeah, healing. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. years and years. Yeah, and years and years of like not getting, you know, just trying to do it on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask, do your counseling. And I know there's a lot of people listening uh, to the show. When was it do that counseling that you, because I know, uh, look, I, I've gone through counseling before. And I just wasn't honest. Like my my initial, That's it, man. My, the initial time I went, I just I was full of shit, mm, so, yeah. you know. But it wasn't until I started just to really just put it all out on the table that I saw growth. So how long did it take you to get? Because I'm sure we all go through that same. Oh, experience. I was lying my ass off. Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Why do you it, think that was for you? Oh, because. Because st- I'm a I'm a striver, yeah. so now I sit down across from the psychiatrist and I want to impress him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want him right. to think I'm like smart and good, mm-hmm. and I want him to pat me on the head and tell me like you're not crazy. Yeah, like right. you're fine. That, that's right. so interesting because you talked about how reluctant you were to go in there. You take the step to go in there, but I'm not going to go all the way. I'm not going to go all I'm the not way. Not going to tell him the truth. Yeah, I'm, I'm still going to hold on to this. Yeah, I'm going to show you like about this much of myself. Right. Exactly. This much right. of myself. And then you realize uh, that gets you nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There What's the is point of literally no point. Yeah. And it sounds like that was your oh experience. Oh, my gosh. You came for a, at least three months. Yeah. Of, and then I used to walk out and go, you're so full of shit. Like, I'm not, why am I paying <laughs> for this <laughs> two go, hours? To go put on a facade to put on for on an a hour. Facade. Yeah. And it wasn't until I just fully, I came in, and, and when I actually opened up, he says, man, I knew. Oh, they, like, dude, they always, we do. all, we all, <laughs> we, all do. we just need to get you here. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a good therapist. Right. And that he let you, he let you travel yeah. that path on your own. Absolutely. Instead of just, if I grip you back, hey man, you're full shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. Come on. Then you're just going to, you're going to retreat more. Exactly. You're going you're to buck up. Yeah. Do it. Right. Right. You're challenging me or whatever. Mm. Or you're even kind of like, okay, you're telling me, but like a good therapist walks with you. Mm. And in your own time, you'll come to that place, and it's going to be that much more powerful because you've realized it for yourself. Right. right? You came to that conclusion that, like, I, yeah. I'm, I'm paying this person to lie to this person. I can stay at home and lie to myself. Right. Right? That's, <laughs> like, fine, right? right? But, like, why, you know what yeah. I mean? And then you realized once you got honest, growth began to happen, mm-hmm. and then you start to see the, Absolute, to see so the, the value difference. in it. Yep. So, so it took some time before that began to actually happen. But once it did... Um, uh, the growth was exponential, mm-hmm. right? 
Uh, Hold on one second. Yeah, oh, I yeah. It. my wife is walking in. Tiffany's walking in. So I'm just we're, Hi, Tiffany. We're, we're transparent on the show. He's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan. The keys. Tiffany. Nice to meet yeah. you as well. Good <laughs> to meet you. All right. Bye. Okay. Good. All right. Go ahead, my kid. Your kid's gone. So, um, yeah, things get uh, they kind of go great for a while, and then so now go to a couple years ago. We're still married. We've got a couple kids, and I, I've become so interested in mental health. I'm back in school again, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm a husband and a father. I am uh, now a priest, and um, unlike a lot of Episcopal churches, it's a big church. So, uh, like you know, there's a lot of people I'm caring for. I'm preaching a lot, and I'm getting another graduate degree at SMU, which I'm doing at night. Mm. So a couple of nights a week, like I'm, night. I'm driving up to at the time the counseling program. It's on the main campus down here now, but it was at this like nondescript building in Plano, mm-hmm. under fluorescent lighting, and like I drive up there in the evenings and be in class. Yeah, it was over uh, like a legacy over yeah. off of like headquarters over oh, there. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly yeah. that's exactly right. And you'd be in these classes for like four hours. You know, it'd, it'd wrap up at like ten thirty. Cool. Just like just a nightmare. And and that's when I started writing. I'd been trying to get into writing. That's all of the journey for about ten years. I finally broke into the writing world, and I was writing books for other people. And I, I was trying to do. Everything. The performer yeah. came back. I mean, as a performer, I'm still seeking this validation, like, right? And I'm not getting honest with myself about, like, why I'm doing this, right? So what ends up happening, and um, and I talk about this in the book, and, and I haven't really spoken publicly about this, but this story gets told in the book, and I'll leave some of the details for the book. Um, but I stop at a certain point in 2017, I stopped taking care of myself like I should. Mm-hmm. And I'm not processing what's really going on. I'm starting to lie again to my therapist. And for the first time really ever in my life, I begin to drink more than I know that I should. Mm-hmm. So I begin to drink in a, in a way that is not, not healthy. And what I mean by that is like, I begin to use alcohol finally at the end of those like long days to like, instead of like, processing or de-stressing in a healthy way. I've always mm. been a runner. I've always been, and I was still exercising a lot. I would drink. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, ju- I would justify it because I'm like, dude, you're like helping a lot of people. You're doing a lot. You're supporting your family. Like this is like, this is fine. And so it slowly crept up on me. So it got to a certain point where here, what happened was I went back um the, the, the church I was working in, we, I do two services on Sunday morning and I go back for Sunday evening service. And um, on this one particular Sunday, I was like burned out. We can talk about burnout yeah. in the next, like what, what this yeah. actually looked like. We can dive in deeper into this. But, but essentially, um, I went home after the morning services. I drank in the afternoon to help me take a nap. Mm. And... Um, and taken, I don't know if you guys have ever taken Ambien before, sleeping pill. Mm-hmm. That's Wolf Wall a, Street, isn't it? Isn't that what he would you would take on? Ambien? I took one once on a flight. No, to no, Europe. no, that was something different. Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah. I think he was and taking all other things. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Take you yeah. to actually on a flight to Japan when I first got in the league in the NFL. Okay. Yeah. I, gone. You're out. Turns gone, out. Gone. Turns out yeah, the lights. Night, night. Yeah, you're night, out. Night, night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's some people that's really weird. It's a it's a sedative, hypnotic, which means. 
it, it's going to bring you into sleep, but it's also for some people, it kind of brings on a bit of euphoria right mm. before you fall asleep. So um, is that the one they take and you try to stay awake? Yes, that's exactly to, right. Okay. People talk about like ambient sex and all these things that okay. they try to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So tell me more. Yeah, you wanna, yeah we can talk <laughs> more. Like, wait a minute. But you're minute. learning about this at the time because you're oh, going to school, right? I'm totally so you're aware well of what's aware going of, on. of totally aware of what it does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And like, yeah, you should you should like for everyone listening, like don't combine Ambien and alcohol and please, for the love of God, don't take Ambien during the day to help you with like a nap. Like, right. Especially gonna, before you're about to go speak to dude, a congregation. Especially <laughs> if you're going back and you're going to like run a church right. service, yeah. right? right? So it's really, I mean, it's, I can laugh about it now. It's yeah. sad. I look at that guy and he was in so much pain that he's like drinking and then taking a piece of an Ambien so you can like sleep for like two hours because mm. you're like that miserable, right? right? That burned out. Mm. Anyway, I go back to church and I'm clearly confused is what ended up happening in a service. And it's horribly embarrassing. Um, unfortunately, there were some people who were like loving enough to like recognize it and mm-hmm. be like, hey, man, like got to get you out of here. Mm-hmm. And they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody else took over. Um, and uh, so that happened once and then it happened again. And so finally, at that point, um, the people that were in my life were like, hey, man, like, you have to stop. You have to stop uh, pretty much everything mm-hmm. of what you're mm-hmm. doing, and we got to get you well. And now here's the thing. People had been telling me for, like, a couple of years that kind of knew about what I was doing. They're like, hey, man, you're going to burn out. Mm-hmm. Just telling you. Yeah. Like, not impressed by you. Like, just, I love you. If you keep down this route, it's, it's going to end terribly. Mm-hmm. And, again, the way that I lied to myself, I was like, I'm burnouts for other people. Like, I don't yeah. burn out for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. burn out. What do you mean burn out? Yeah. I just didn't keep working. You know what I mean? Like, you can't produce what I can produce. Like, you cry. Like, I can do this. And if I know in my mind I got to drink a little bit more to get that done, like, that's what I'll do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until, until it blew up in my face, right? right? So, in 2018, I do. Um, I take, like, leave from the church. I go do intense therapy. Go to retreat. Like, I mean, not a retreat. Go to um, treatment. Like, go mm-hmm. away. Go to California. Yeah. Do, do the whole bit. And, um... And ultimately come back from that and um, and resign my position at the church. And at this point, too, I'm really close to finishing. I mean, this is the irony. I'm about to be, be a, uh, finish my you know counseling yeah. degree and all of that. Um, but I had to go through another whole massive overhaul healing experience mm-hmm. to come back from that. And so um, that falling down, that sort of pain, that trial with my own mental health ultimately I think was the I mean I can kind of um I I really view that that as like um that happened I was 36 when I was that burned out so almost three years ago I was 36 and I remember thinking after it had happened you know your first zero to 18 years of life were one life and then I felt like there was kind of a rebirth at USC Mm -hmm. like my eyes opened and then what happened at 36 was a rebirth again wow. into healing. And I, and I thought this is, this is not coincidental. Like mm-hmm. this feels like the time. And so, um, yeah, we can, yeah, there's I, a lot that thing happens that, Yeah, a ton to unpack. One of the things that I, I want, and I think 
men especially need to hear this, right? Is from the outside, it looked like your life was going fine. Yeah. Yeah. Going, you know, going further in your education, you know, you're a leader in a, a, a church organization. You've got a wife, you've got kids, like life looks okay. Right. And, and I think men, there's, there, I, I guarantee a huge percentage of our listeners right now are either on the tail end of something that you just described mm. or are on the front end yeah. of it or in the middle of it, but don't want to admit it because I don't have a reason like to, to go get treatment or complain or even think that there's any, that's just life. It's just mm. what I got to deal with. My life's pretty good because, you know, I can look 10 miles south of me and it could be a whole lot worse yeah. and it could be way harder. So if I, if I admit that I'm struggling with something, then I'm ungrateful mm. for the position that I'm in. And I want, I want you to speak a little bit to those people. I mean, man or woman that are, is going through that where like optically their life is fine, oh, but yeah. internally they're struggling with something, but there's a guilt associated with admitting that they're unhappy yeah. because they have everything that they need. Yeah. So I don't know. Talk through that. Is that something that you kind of maybe felt way like? Oh, completely. There's this, we invalidate our own pain and our experience, especially if like the listeners who you just described, like man or woman who thinks, well, look, my life could be way worse and it's not right. I have a lot to be grateful for. And so I better just, I better suck this up. Mm -hmm. Right. Even though like I realize deep down, like something is amiss. The problem with that is it doesn't help at all, and it's disingenuous. So it's like it's like when we say, like, well, you know what? Like, yeah, my, my, my relationship with my wife isn't good, or I got fired, but you know what? Like, there are children elsewhere who, like, um, don't have enough to eat tonight. Mm-hmm. Hold on. That is true. That pain and that suffering that that child has experienced is real. Mm-hmm. We are not minimizing that pain, though, by recognizing and validating our own pain. Mm -hmm. You cannot discount your own existence. That's not going to help the child, right? right? Now, you can do something. You best go do something about that child. But trust me, you're not helping them by giving your own self the sense of, like, letting yourself off the hook where it's like, well, I'm not going to complain about my stuff. And then that kind of, like, balances Mm. out the universe. Right. Shit, that doesn't help anybody. Yeah. That doesn't help anybody. The way that you're actually going to help in this world, right, is by first taking care of yourself. Yep. Okay? You got to love like, some you, huh? You got to love some you. You know, yeah. like the part yeah. on the airplane, like I said, my wife, my wife, my mom's a Freudian slip, is a, she just retired actually, <laughs> but uh, I've been a flight attendant, right? You just caught that? That's gross. <laughs> we can talk about that. Yeah. There's a whole other episode there. A true root of the issue. But you know that part that we all don't pay attention to, and they're like, yeah. hey, if the cabin you know, loses pressure, the masks are going to fall oh, down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and your instinct, if you're traveling with little kids or somebody who's old, is to take the mask and put it on them yeah. before you put right. it on yourself. Right. Your instinct is dead wrong. Because if you do that, you will die. Yeah. And if you are dead, then your children are dead. Mm-hmm. Put your mask on first. Right. So what I would tell the person, if they're listening right now, and they're like, man, I can identify with that. And I, he was self-medicating his pain, and he was just kind of carrying on. Here's the deal. A, you, you deserve more than that. You're worth more than that. You don't have to live with that pain. You deserve to be able to be taken care of, and you should. Because if you don't, right? Right. The plane will crash, I promise you. Mm-hmm. Mine did. 
And if you can avoid that, avoid it by all means. You deserve to be able to be honest with yourself and be able to take care of yourself because you deserve it. But then also the people around you deserve it. They deserve to be able to have the healthiest version of you for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, listening to your story, this is, it's 2020 now. This is in 2018. This yeah. isn't like this was 20 years ago, 15, 10 years ago. This no. is two years ago yeah, just, yeah. that you're just you're just coming back. Give us what's happened in the last two years. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man, so much, so much. Part of it was is really, really just in the past few years that I've been able to do the real hard work of, like, understanding, like, that um, – for me, the the big piece was that external validation mm-hmm. of like constantly needing right the approval of others. So I mean, on a like a micro scale, what happened was I was able to step back. Which the reality was, I had needed to leave. I was being led in the direction of therapy for a long time, mm-hmm. and I was like obsessed though with this like, you know, I want to do all this. Like I want to be the priest, and I'll be the therapist, and I'll be the writer, right? All mm-hmm. and all of this, and I had to get real about. Uh, and the gang goes back to the God thing. I think. God was leading me in a different direction. I refused to go in that direction. Mm. So you finally like, if I cannot get your attention, like watch this, I will yeah, get I'm gonna your, make you. I'm going to yeah. make you pay yeah. attention, right? Yeah. So what I was able to do is get some distance there, which is what I needed to do, just step back, do intense treatment, mm-hmm. uh, uh, step back from alcohol for a long, long time. And still, like, I can just, we can get into the details of that, of what that looks like, of being totally abstinent, of, of moderating, mm. all of that, talking, mm. t- talking about that deep therapy, reordering my priorities. Mm-hmm. Like I would have told you back then that like, Hey man, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a husband and a, and a father first. No, you're not. Yeah. No, you're that's not. what all of our LinkedIn's yeah. and oh, our yeah. Instagram say. That's what we, that's what we project. That's a, yeah. That's yeah. a pretty statement. Yeah. 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 That's a, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Right. And that's what yeah. you, that's what you ought to be. But it's like, we're really looking at what you're doing. Right. Yeah. I tell you one of the most painful things when I started to like do this work is my wife said, she's like, I was gone for a month, you know, initially. I went away for treatment, and I came back, and, and um, you know, I felt so terrible about the whole thing. There was so much guilt, and I'm leaving you. You're dealing with these, like, kids, and you're on your own, even though it's, like, for a month. And I was like, I'm so sorry that I wasn't present. And she said, you know, if I'm being honest with you, she goes, for, like, the past, I don't know, year, year and a half, I'm not saying this in its entirety, but there have been a lot of times where you've been here, but you've not been here. Yeah, man. You're not present. Oof. She's like, your head is elsewhere. Yeah. So painful to hear. Yeah. It made me feel like such a, like, I'm just like, I am such a fraud. Like, I'm out there, like, talking to people about, you know, it's just like, and I'm not doing it in my own home. I felt this tremendous guilt. Um, so there's a lot of working through, a lot of working through all of that, mm-hmm. right? And so making right what I needed to make right, but also just actually getting honest about, well, okay, what is it that I really want my life to look like? And really actually deciding, it's like, well, I really do want to honor my commitment and be a good husband, as, uh, you know, as best as I can be. Not perfect, but as the healthiest version of myself as I can be and father to these two boys mm-hmm. who I love more than anything. Right. And let everything else truly, truly come after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I began to do that work. And then in some ways I was back to where I was when I made the transition out of law to to um to church work i was back to trying to finish the degree and doing contract legal work again so i'm like uh uh, it was difficult financially i'd suffered this sort of like societal loss of status Mm. like it was all this just been what the past couple years have looked like is like a ton of hard work Mm. a ton of hard work again um 
and if you were if you would have told me back then that you know I'd be sitting here now, even just this kind of short amount of time later, and things would be going the way that they're going. I, I just wouldn't have even believed it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so this is the thing too that I always uh, I try to tell people if I can, you know, tell people when I was at my when I was at my worst, um, struggling with the anxiety. My mother said to me, which here's another thing, and so many people listening, to no fault of my parents' own, right? But it's that generation too. Like, until I was an adult, I had no idea that my mom struggled with depression and anxiety. Mm. Right? This conversation just, like, didn't occur. Mm -hmm. So, again, in my own mind, I'm definitely thinking, like, I'm crazy, right? right? And then, like, nobody else has this. Right. It's my deal. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, no. There's actually, like, loads of family history. Yeah. But nobody's ever talked about it before. I remember, though, when I was struggling, she looked at me and she said, the way you feel today is not how you're going to feel forever. And I know that you can't believe that right now. I will believe it for you. But if you can try and trust and believe that this can get better, you got to hold on to that. And... I can go back to that moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad she said that to me because I don't know what that might have looked like had I not chose to just let her believe that for me. And I tell people, like, if you are down in that pit, right, it can get better. Mm -hmm. But you first have to ask for help. Mm -hmm. You have to understand this is not a weakness. It's a sign of strength to ask for help. It's never a sign of weakness to ask for help always a sign of strength you got to be willing to, to, to raise them and say like, something's wrong mm-hmm. and then you got to be willing to go and do the work mm-hmm. you got to get honest right. and start doing the work yeah. so there's been a, a lot of work yeah um, yeah i i, I just want to i want to reiterate though like how much courage it takes to admit that right you, you we think and we're wired to think that it's weakness mm. but it's bravery it's courage to right. say hey i'm about to actually admit the things that I'm struggling with. Mm -hmm. And I'm also brave enough and strong enough to say, okay, I'm going to work on those issues or I'm going to work on, you know, those, I mean, for lack of a better, those demons inside me, you know, the the illness Mm -hmm. that that I have, that I have to deal with. My question is, is 2018, how was your faith? How did that play into it? Because, you know, you, you spent so much time in the church and and, and teaching people, okay, hey, here's, here's God's vision for you, and here's his meaning, and here's his plan. But then how did you apply that to yourself? And, and could you walk away and say, God, I need your help through this? I mean, what, what, oh, what, yeah. was, kinda, what was your relationship with God through that, the heal, this, this latest healing? It's a great question, and I appreciate you asking. It, God did not leave me. Mm-hmm. God never left me. And it re affirmed what I believe is essential to, to the faith of, yeah, I can only speak from my tradition for, for Christians, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the center of our faith, we've got this image of, 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 of God on a cross, mm-hmm. like dead on a cross, right? right? And, the, and there's oftentimes a lot of confusion about what that means. And I'll answer this by way of a story. I used to work with a guy who lived in China for the better, more than a decade. I think he lived there for 12 years working as a professor. And he ended up marrying a woman from China who was Buddhist. Mm-hmm. 
and they eventually moved back to the United States. And he was Roman Catholic, and she would go to Mass with him, right? And, uh, you know, he was kind of nervous about it, didn't know how she would experience this or what it might be. And as they went kind of week after week after week, he, you know, he finally had the courage to ask her. He's like, what do you, what, what do you think about this, you know? And she said, I actually really enjoy it. He's like, you do? She goes, yeah, I think it's beautiful. I think, I think the liturgy is gorgeous. I like the music, right? I like the architecture, like all of it. She goes, there's one thing I don't understand. And he's like, what's that? And she points to the crucifix. The crucifix. And she says, Jesus dead on a cross. Mm. Suffering is meant to be overcome. Why do you Christians take suffering and leave it there? Mm. And it's such a good question because that's what we do. We take God's suffering we put it right up at front and we leave it there. And, and here's why we do it, because it's true. And what I mean by that is I take that to mean there's no experience we can have. There's no place we can go. There's no trial we can suffer that is so rough, that is so deep, that is so low, that God will not be there with us. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be all anew. When I had completely, what I feel like, derailed my life, the most embarrassing thing I've ever gone right. through, right? It's public, it's, it's humiliating, it's this total admittance of like, I have screwed this up really, right? I'm supposed to have this all together. God never left me. Mm-hmm. Felt loved through the whole thing. Did not feel rejected. I felt what you were describing, talking earlier about this, this reality that pretty much all of human love, right, is conditional. Mm-hmm. We can treat one another. If I treat you so bad, like you're going to cut me off mm-hmm. at a certain point, and that's the right thing to do, right? They're toxic people, and times we have to cut them off. But this notion that because you're a human being, you deserve this love from God, and it will never be taken away because you didn't earn it, right? Unless you can't mess up so bad that it's going to be withdrawn. Right. And so to experience that mercy through that, mediated through people like my wife primarily, my parents, the people who are helping me, all of that, and you experience it as real, you realize, oh, yeah, uh, my faith is strengthened because I'm finding out here in this moment what my faith is like. Not what I, my faith is made yeah. of, but how, how good God is. Yeah. Right. It's not yeah. about, oh, I had yeah. a strong faith, and that's what got me through. It's like, yeah. no, God was like, yeah, you're in the ditch, brother, and I'm going to come on. I got yeah. you. I'm right. coming down there with you. Like, right. You're not going to be alone. Man, that's um, what a story. Well, so, okay, so yeah, yeah tell us about what you're doing now. So, so you yeah, finished so, your degree, oh, man, and, yeah, so, and so now, okay, this passion, and, and obviously yeah. you're, I mean, essentially, right, and I've, and I've got some really close friends that are, that are pastors uh, here in, in the, in the Dallas area. And I mean, a majority of their job is counseling. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so you, you felt and you, and, and God moved you to that position permanently. So talk, talk yeah. about that transition. Oh my goodness. So now, um, so I've had my own private practice for uh, j- right at like a year mm. now. And um, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm as happy as, as ever can be um, on a lot of levels. Like this is the first time I've ever been able to work for myself. So I've, you know, I've worked, mm-hmm. I worked within the institution yeah. of the church for the past 10 years. Yeah. And so it's the first time I've been able to kind of like flex that like muscle, which is a blast. Like yeah. I don't ever want a boss like ever, <laughs> right. ever. Well, and, and your dad was that, Again, right? That so you, so you got to that. see that in your dad and now you're, 
Wow. Yeah, you know, flex that. But I love it. But I get to spend now in the in the clinical setting. So part of too what was unhealthy for me is that I've never been good at boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so as a priest, right, you're not only the counselor, you're the confidant, but you're also like friends and people. There, I was terrible about boundaries. So mm-hmm. I was letting yeah. people text me at all hours and yeah. all that stuff. Now it's much more. It's more clinical. It's like yeah. you show up at nine o'clock. We talk from yeah. nine to nine fifty. Right. I don't talk uh, to you until next week. Adios. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless there's something that comes yeah. up, and I definitely yeah. again I have to always work on my boundaries. I tend mm-hmm. to like you know want to. Whatever, yeah. But I, I love it. I feel like it's it's sacred work. People invite you into their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you and you get to be with them very much. I view the work as coming alongside mm-hmm. them, journey alongside them, but get to use this clinical, the knowledge that I have, the experience that I've had working in the church is very very helpful. And also, I very much and I don't hide from my clients in this sense. If I feel like it's appropriate, and I talk about this in the book, I identify as a co-sufferer. So for me, depression and anxiety. Um, or abusing substances, these aren't these aren't abstract for me. Yeah. I didn't just like learn about this in the mm-hmm, classroom. Like, right. Well, I'm yep. right there with you, yeah. right, right there with you. And there's this sense in which you know the, the, that's why the, the the words "me too" are powerful, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. To be able to, to be able to use that. So mm-hmm. doing that, um, getting writing, like I said, I've, I've written for other people, but my first book that with a major publisher that's um, you know on my own that's coming yeah. out in January. So awesome. getting to advocate. And that book's called what again? It's called Depression, Anxiety, and Other Things We Don't okay. Want to Talk About. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So which we that, will I, talk I, about in a second. Which we will. Yep. Talk about in a second. <laughs> so yeah, doing that. So doing that work. So uh, again, prioritizing my family. I get, um, it's, uh, I've, it's so nice to, to have much more of a set schedule, mm-hmm. right? And present and present through the weekend, right. you know, mm-hmm. which church work is just hard. God bless anyone that's in the church, yes. like working. It's yes. like, uh, it's, 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 it's straining. And we, we yeah. may, we can talk about in the next segment, the mental health toll that that can take on yes. people that are, um, um, either frontline workers or, yeah. you know, the helping professions, all of that. But yeah. So like, being with my family, uh, working, writing, and like getting to indulge now too more in, in just like hobbies that were like set aside for yeah. so long yeah. that I'm, you know, I just feel like I'm, I'm having more fun now. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear your story because you, you, you were in love with yourself at one point. You fell out of love with yourself and then fell back in love. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know? I never heard it put that way. You know, it's like, I, and, I, and I can, I'm hearing through your stories, like, you, now you're, you, and I think it's a lot of our stories in this, sitting in this room right now, is, you know, finding what you want to do and what you feel is right for, for Ryan and your family, and that's your safe place. Yeah. And I think I'm like, hell, I know I'm trying to get there. I'm, I'm a lot older than these two, but same, still trying to find that, that safe place. That's well. beautifully so, said. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for saying that. It encourages yeah. me, too. And I, I like that. I was in love with myself. I fell out of love with myself. And then I've been able to find a way you should back be a, to loving myself. You should, you should speak to people, D. Hey, man, I'm a ghost rider, man. You know what? <laughs> yeah. you don't, don't even know. I don't even know. I got to be honest. When Ryan said, we, we were tired of introducing him, he said, ghost rider. And not in my mind. Ghost ride the whip. Ghost rider. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what ghost I thought. Ghost rider. <laughs> right. Yeah. Ghost, ghost ride, ride the whip. The whip. <laughs> well, ahead, as, as we wrap this yeah. this particular episode up, and we've made reference quite a few times, but uh, on Wednesday, if you're a if you're a Darren Woodson show all star and you're subscribed to the show on Wednesday, we're gonna have an episode come out with Ryan. We're gonna dive deeper into anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. But as far as this 
this episode goes, man, love your story. Yeah. Amazing. Thank journey. you for sharing with us. So um, if you're in the, if you're in the Dallas area, um, what's the best way to find you, um, your practice? If I, I mean, I know that you're, you're busy and booked, but, um, if someone wants to reach out to you and whether it's you connecting directly or connecting them with someone else that can help. Yeah. What's the best way to, to, to get in contact with you to just maybe have a conversation. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for asking. You yeah. can find me at, RyanCaseyWaller.com, mm-hmm. right? So there's a way to like, you can contact me through the website. Um, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. As Ryan Casey Waller. Mm-hmm. You can as find as you're listening to this, we will post this on Instagram. So if you are followers of the Darren Woodson show, um, we will post these links on Instagram Thanks. as well. And you can you go that. to psychology today, which is like the Google for therapists. Spell psychology. We had a spelling bee Last, previously. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> these two don't know how to spell psychology. I can't spell anything anymore, but I got the P-S-Y-C-H-O-L-O-G-Y, right? Yeah. <laughs> that made me nervous. Yeah. Ter- pterodactyl got Darren. Oh, yeah, I couldn't even close on that. Though. Pterodactyl. That P, that P gets you every time. <laughs> I don't even try anymore. There's no oh, he was just being a, he was just being a yeah. jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Just bring it up at old memory. Okay, so, so. <laughs> you can find me there at Psychology Today again. Just type in uh-huh. my name, Ryan Casey Waller, and you can and you can find me. I'm easy to find. I'm okay. on the site right now, man. On the I mean, look, yeah. And I got awesome I got to say this. Thanks, Do you buddy. also play Texas country music? Because I feel like your name is yeah. a is perfect for Texas country I've music of, I've heard of Ryan Waller in a West Texas bar somewhere. You heard that? <laughs> I would kill to be able to play. Oh. I love Texas country. Uh, you and me I both, can't brother. sing, can't play, man. Yeah. Well, hey, here's the question we like to ask every guest. And if yeah. you've heard the episode, you may have heard it before. But if you could go back to any point in your life and tell yourself one thing, maybe not necessarily change anything, but you go tell yourself one thing, where do you go and what do you tell yourself? Oh, it's, it's really incredible. Where do I go and what would I tell myself? I'd go back to the little boy. That was real scared. And I would tell him that he is going to meet more people in this world that want good for him and will be kind and filled with grace than people who will be ready to judge him or take him down. And so he can take a deep breath and welcome the love that other people mm-hmm. will be willing and ready and able to offer him. Good. Gosh. I got goosebumps on that well one. Well said. <laughs> man, man, well, tune in this next, uh, this next episode because, again, we're gonna, we made reference to it quite a bit, but we're going to dive a little bit more into your story and the anxiety and depression and uh, really, really hopefully reach some people. But we appreciate you, Ryan, so much, man. This was fun. Thank you. This, this was really awesome. Fun. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Thank you guys. so much. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it.